This morning's sermon starts with an advisory notice, a heads up, a trigger warning. In my teaching this morning, I am going to mention climate change, gun violence prevention, and immigration. I will talk about Judaism and politics and public policy. We'll explore what Judaism says about our engagement in the world around us, how we listen to one another or don't, how we agree with one another or disagree with each other, and what we are called upon to do. Now, I did see some reactions already, maybe a murmur or two, some squirming in the seats, a muttering under one's breath or in one's mind. Some of us, I think, may be excited to hear about these topics, and others may be sitting with rising apprehension and concern. Will it make me uncomfortable, you ask? Uncomfortable because what I believe isn't what the rabbi says Judaism says? Maybe I don't have a place in this community. Uncomfortable because I have different political views and why does he think he has a monopoly on Judaism? Uncomfortable because I share the rabbi's views but I haven't been acting on them and maybe this will just make me feel guilty. Spoiler alert, we are all going to be okay. Every one of us of any political view has a place in this community. It is Jewish values and teachings that hold sway here, not a particular partisan ideology. I can't promise you that you won't feel uncomfortable by what I say, but I can promise you that no matter your take on the political issues of the day, Jewish values influence our interaction with the world around us and call us to respond. Now, as much as I actually personally secretly harbor a desire to be a fire and brimstone kind of preacher, I am not going to take the tack this morning of our prophet Isaiah. We just heard his words beautifully chanted, but it seems likely that in fact his was not a calm, melodic voice. When we read his words much of the time, it feels like Isaiah is screaming at us. Rabbi Arthur Waskow imagines the settings of the verses that we just heard as taking place in the great temple in Jerusalem or in some mega synagogue, he writes, in Babylon. Picture the scene. The congregation is assembled on Yom Kippur. Everyone is fasting and reverently praying, and suddenly the prophet Isaiah storms in, barges his way to the front, and interrupts the proceedings with raging voice, chastising the people for false piety, declaring that God does not want their fast, that they are worthless unless they are accompanied by acts of righteousness and compassion. It must have felt like a kick in the hungry stomach to those assembled. This model of disruption and confronting people to, promote, to prompt them to righteous acts is a hallmark of many of our prophets. Amos yelled at the people for trampling the poor like the dust of the earth and perverting the way of the humble. God would pay no heed to their offerings. Justice did not well up like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Micah lambasted those who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight. Instead, he proclaimed they must do justice, love goodness, and walk humbly with God. The prophets were disruptive and confrontational. They made people uncomfortable back then and today. So why are we reading such a challenging text on a holy day like today when our primary focus, it feels, should be inward, when we are engaged in the work of introspection and reflection? 
Many people feel that religion's role should be to soothe our jagged nerves, to be a balm to the soul wounded by the affronts of modern living, and, and I agree. Our worship should be an oasis in time. Our sanctuary should be a sanctuary from the tumult of the world, a place for quiet contemplation and meditation, a place to connect to our truest selves, to be embraced by our community in love, to commune with God. And I believe that that is not all that a religion should be. The rabbis of the Talmud teach that any place used for prayer must have a window through which the outside is visible. We, when we gather for ritual and for worship, we are not allowed to ensconce ourselves in a place completely removed from the rest of society. When we say the words of the liturgy, we must also be able to see our surroundings and therefore remember the world in which we dwell. We can separate ourselves in a sanctuary for worship, but we cannot remain separate from the cares and concerns of society. It has been said that the role of religion is to com comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. A rabbinic friend of mine put it a little differently. He said, religion must both calm the soul and inspire the heart. As a source of morality, Judaism calls us to our higher selves. As a wellspring of values, Judaism calls us to imagine the world as it ought to be and compels us to take steps towards accomplishing that vision. Judaism will not let us leave things as they are, but requires our active involvement in taking care of one another and in making our world a better place. This is why sometimes I feel that we are called upon to play a more prophetic role, to bring to bear on the great issues of our day the wisdom and values of our tradition, to decry violence when it is prompted by hatred and willful ignorance, to demand justice for victims of an unfair system, to speak out when children sleep in cages, when economic inequality distorts a level playing field, when we despoil the environment that, of the world that God has entrusted to us. As Rabbi Israel Salanter, a 19th century sage and champion of ethics in Judaism, was said to have taught, a person should be more concerned with spiritual than with material matters, but another person's material well-being is my spiritual concern. Religion must provide comfort and soulful restoration and inspiration and a call to action. It must do both. And so on Erev Rosh Hashanah, I spoke about building and rebuilding our inner spiritual tabernacle. And today is part of our Yom Kippur evaluation of our lives. I'm speaking about our responsibility to the outside world. I know this makes some of us uncomfortable. Some of us don't want religion to be intertwined at all with political affairs. I suspect there are several different explanations for this discomfort. One reflects a growing change in the way our society as a whole views public policy. It used to be that there was an important distinction between the words political and partisan. Political meant having to do with the affairs of society, its government and its public policies. Partisan meant support for a particular political party, a specific ideology, or an individual candidate. One could talk about political issues without necessarily 
taking a partisan side. Perception of those terms has changed. Political issues themselves now feel partisan. I could mention climate change, gun violence, and reproductive choice, or religious freedom, tax cuts, and free markets, and you might make an assumption about my partisan beliefs based solely on the political topics I discuss. The approaches or solutions to these issues are now so firmly identified with political partisan parties that they cease to be topics of mutual conversation. People today seem so hyper-partisan that they cannot talk about a political issue without immediately jumping to a partisan conclusion. I'll tell you that many rabbis are now cautious about raising any political topics for fear of being accused of being partisan. This makes it very challenging to fulfill the prophetic part of the rabbinic mandate and to focus on the role of Judaism as a moral voice in our world. For me, it is not about being partisan or endorsing any political ideology or, per or particular party. For me, it's about starting with Torah and texts and the Jewish values that are embedded within them and then seeing how those texts and values call us to action in the world. For example, when I think or teach or speak about the environment or the changes happening to our climate, I begin with God placing Adam in the Garden of Eden, to till and to tend it, the Torah tells us. I begin with the concept of being Shomrei Adama, of guardians of the earth. When I approach the topic of gun violence prevention, First, I explore the, vir the virtue of pikuach nefesh, the requirement to preserve human life. I study rabbinic teachings about self-defense. And the verse in Leviticus that we'll read this afternoon, lo ta'amod al dam re'echa, you shall not stand idly by the blood of your neighbor. When I consider immigration, I look at the 36 times the Torah reminds us of the right way to treat the strangers among us, for we were strangers in the land of Egypt. After study and contemplation of these teachings, I try to figure out how I would want to see those values translated into policies and actions. Jewish tradition is broad enough and deep enough that any two of us approaching the same topic might find different texts to study. We might uncover different ways that the values contained in those texts shape our interaction with the world and the policies that we might support. And that's okay. The key is to engage with our texts and values and to enact them in the world in ways that feel authentic to us and to Judaism. Now, sometimes the discomfort in talking about religion and politics comes when we reach different conclusions but feel like there isn't any room for dialogue and discussion. Earlier this year, I preached a sermon about immigration and the challenges of this moment in history. I spoke from texts and values in examining the current policies of our government and how they measured up or fell short to what I believe Jewish tradition required. A week later, I received a letter in the mail from a visitor who happened to have been at that service and who vehemently disagreed with me in the policy solutions that I advocated. He wrote that out of respect for the service and my role as rabbi, he didn't want to interrupt the sermon and argue with me, but he felt that Judaism supported different ideas than ones that I had presented. He said that my words 
made him feel like there wasn't a place for him in our Jewish community because of the opinions that he held. Now that certainly was not my intention. But I understand his discomfort. As a rabbi and a student of Jewish texts, I have an expertise in Jewish tradition. But that doesn't mean that my understanding of Jewish values and the public policies that they might then put into practice is the only valid one. Not that I was railing like Isaiah, but if we only follow the prophetic model of strident righteousness, we shut down conversation and close people off from discussion. Now fortunately, our prophets are not the only model in Jewish history of how we engage with Jewish values. Another model is provided in the Torah by Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai, a pair of opposing rabbis who took vastly different approaches to Jewish law. The schools of thought that they founded dominated Jewish life for a century on either side of the year zero. They disagreed quite often on matters big and small, and though most of the time Hillel's opinion became binding law instead of Shammai's, the Talmud made sure to preserve the arguments of both sides, recording and exploring their dialogue and debate. Though the two schools disagreed ideologically, they still showed respect for one another, and the opinions of both are included in our Jewish legal texts. This can be a model for how we engage each other in the Jewish community on political issues. We can have debates and discussions and dialogues in classes and forums and meetings based on values and texts and tradition. Disagreement is okay when it reflects respect for one another. In this model, I could have told the letter-writing dissenting guest I've present, presented my Hillel views and I respect and would be interested in hearing your Shammai views or vice versa. I've said it before, Isaiah is not a Democrat or a Republican. Amos and Micah are not Libertarians or Greens. The prophets are not the province of one party or ideological view. Their words certainly are political in that they wanted our society to be ordered according to our community's value but they are not partisan. Isaiah proclaimed that we must feed those who are hungry and shelter those who are homeless, but he makes no determination of the best way to do that. He doesn't mandate food pantries or food stamps, block grants or welfare work requirements or any other specific government programs. We can disagree about how best to implement Jewish values in relations to the problems of hunger and homelessness, we can have a Hillel Shammai discussion about these policies and politics. How we care for one another is up for us to decide. That we must care for one another is not up for debate. And that, when we drill down to the core value, that is what Judaism truly says about religion and public policy. We cannot ignore the affairs of the world and the challenges that beset our society. There are plenty of topics to discuss, plenty of people who need our help, plenty of broken pieces of our world. What we may not do is ignore them. The book of Deuteronomy teaches that when a neighbor is in need of, of assistance, lo lehitalem, you may not remain indifferent, or literally, you may not hide yourself. The second century sage Rabbi Tarfan taught, lo alecha hamlacha more. 
It is not incumbent on you to complete the task, but neither are you at liberty to neglect it. And as the great teacher and social activist of our own era, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, writing in the midst of the struggle for civil rights in this country, reminded us, this is no time for neutrality. We Jews cannot remain aloof or indifferent. We too are either ministers of the sacred or slaves of evil. We must be engaged in the affairs of the world around us, guided by our Jewish text and seeking to make our Jewish values manifest in the world. Judaism doesn't have a one-size-fits-all approach to public policy. There are times when we must be Isaiah and rail against the systems of injustice and wrongdoing that darken our world. And there are times when we must engage one another in respectful Hillel Shammai dialogues, not disputing whether we should use our values to shape our world into what we want it to be, but how we should do it. We begin always with Torah values and figure out how best to implement them so that our society can better reflect our ideals. When we do so, when we see through the window of our sanctuary a world that we want to improve, when we listen to one another, when we agree or disagree agreeably, when we seek to reflect our values and teachings in the working of our world, then the words of Isaiah will ring out. Then shall your light blaze forth like the dawn and your healing shall speedily spring up. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the eternal shall be your rear guard. Then when you call, the eternal will answer. When you cry, God will say, here I am. May we use these words and vision of Isaiah to help us build a better world. King Hiratzon, May this be God's will, and together we say,